How's it going, my friends? It's time for another edition of Strictly Business, presented to you exclusively by Podcast Heat and AdFreeShows.com. I, of course, am John Alba, back with another episode here with the man of the hour, the man that we talk business every single week with, Mr. Eric Bischoff, of course. And we have a very special guest with us on this edition of Strictly Business. He is a Grammy Award-winning, nine-time nominated, multi-platinum session musician, producer, and songwriter. You've heard him on songs by her, Jasmine Sullivan, Money Long, Chris Brown, Jeezy, and many more. His name is Isaac Riston. Gentlemen, how are we today? How are things looking? Eric, you're looking good out there on the Midwest. Things going well this holiday season? I'm not in the Midwest, dude. I'm in the real West. This is the okay. Rocky Mountain West. Don't mix me up with some cat from Iowa. Come on now. I'm not freezing my ass off up here in a tundra for nothing. I'm doing great. But a shout out to our sponsor for today's show, Rocket Money. We love you guys and great product, great service. And Isaac, man, I, we've been looking forward to this for a long time. This is awesome. Thank you for joining us today. It's my absolute pleasure, guys. Thank you so much for having me. This is uh, a, a, an absolute treat. And by way of uh, just a little bit of background, Isaac, uh, follows us, listens to uh, Strictly Business, reached out to me. I think it was on a DM originally on social media, and we just made that connection. We start, I gave him a shout. We started talking. Oh, no, no, I called you. That's right. Yeah, yeah, called you called you. me. You were, yeah. the, you were on the ad-free show's uh, family list, and I got, called you just to shoot the breeze, and bam, I started talking to Isaac, and he told me what he did, and I'm thinking, oh, man, I got a million questions for him. <laughs> And I thought, what a better place to ask those questions than on Strictly Business, because I, I love digging into the parallels um, between different types of industries in the entertainment business um, and compare them to the wrestling business, comparing wrestling to music, wrestling to television outside of televised wrestling, wrestling to movies. And I think wrestling to music is an important one that uh, not too many people talk about. So thanks, man. This is going to be fun. Okay. Thank you. Isaac, let me start with this, because... Uh, so many people don't even cognitively realize that music plays such a gigantic role in the soundtrack of professional wrestling. So in your opinion, how does music service professional wrestling? It, it, it's, it's really kind of a, a, a loving relationship between the two. Um, you know, you look back at guys like Jim Johnston or even Jimmy Hart. Um, who had the luxury of, of, of actually working with different uh, professional wrestlers in, in coming up with the arrangements that carried them to the ring. Um, you hear about wrestlers all the time that went to wrestle you know, The Undertaker, and, and they're in the middle of the ring, and they hear the gong. Um, it's it's, it's a Pavlonian, as, as everybody said. You, know, you hear the glass break, everybody freaks out. You know, that's, that's a call to arms for us wrestling fans is the entrance music. Um, and that really uh, can set the stage for the type of uh, persona that the athlete is going after, um, the type of uh, direction of, of how they perform in the ring. Um, if you hear some kind of, you know, thrashing guitars or, or, or metal, you know, it's like oh, somebody's going <laughs> to come in here and, and mess some stuff up. Um, and then you have, you know, guys like uh, Mankind that had an entrance music and then an exit music, um, all done intentionally to captivate you and to keep you interested from the entrance going from, you know, the ramp down to the ring. Um, and it, 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 it's this weird kind of uh, 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 symbolism between the two, you know, it, and it's, it's, it's fascinating. You can really go any direction that you want to, as long as you're staying true to the, the performer and, and what their, what their gimmick is. Let me, 
ask you, Isaac, before we really dig, dig into this and get into the weeds further, give me a little bit of, of, of your background and, and, and the success that you've had. And how did you start in the music industry? I, uh, my whole kind of ethos really started from uh, my parents. My mom is a Southern gospel singer. Uh, she cut her first single when she was six. Wow. Um, and then I, yeah, it, it, so living that, I mean, anytime we'd go home for, uh, go home uh, 40 minutes up the road, uh, the Thanksgiving, Christmas, man, my aunt was a Southern gospel singer. She would always tell us stories about cutting her record. And, and my dad was a huge audiophile. Um, you know, he was always behind the mixing board, uh, or mixing console. He did video work. So with the, you know, a traveling family of just playing Southern gospel music anywhere that would have us, I got really used to the idea of being on the road and, and, and kind of planning and, and uh, formulating where we want to take a said song or, or, or a said experience. Um, I did all of that all the way up until high school. High school, I fell in love with the bass by accident. I wasn't even, I really wanted to be a drummer. Um, that was the the main thing. I, I would even <laughs> I would get uh, random opportunities to play. I never had a drum kit of my own until I was in my 30s. But we'd be at a church, everybody would kind of disappear. I would see the drum kit. I look at my dad, I'd be like, "Yo, can I go play those drums for a second? <laughs> and I would grab a cassette tape. And and I'm not kidding. I had the WWF Volume One or whatever it was, uh, and I would play along to entrance music. Just to you know, that was what I heard the most. That was what's on TV. It wasn't Southern gospel, <laughs> so, um, but bass was just uh, an accident. Um, I tried out for drums for an ensemble at my high school. I didn't get it, and this girl comes up to me, and I never really, you know, had too many interactions with females, and this girl's standing there. She's like, hey, you know, Ryan and Bill said you play guitar. I was like, yeah, I play guitar a little bit, and she said, well, you can you could probably play bass. It's two less strings, and I went, I always thought that. I always thought because I suck at guitar. I've tried so many times to learn how to play guitar. I've taken lessons. I've done you. I've done everything. Like maybe eight or ten times throughout the course of my life, I've gotten really serious about playing the guitar, and I just suck at it so bad. And I thought, well, maybe if there's less strings, I could do that. It's <laughs> that's what I thought too. And she drugged my arm into the show choir director's office and said, "Hey, I found you a bass player." And I went, yeah, I'll do it. You know, <laughs> didn't have a bass, didn't have any idea. Um, and that's when that relationship started. I came home, I told my mom that I'm going to start playing bass and show choir. And she laughed at me and said, all right, hang on. Goes into the room, grabs a CD. It was the ultimate funk volume one. And she said, if you can learn this, you can play bass. And wow. Throw there it you go. Fire. Oh my goodness. Ultimate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hit me with it right out of the gate. What's your connection to wrestling? When did you start watching? Where did you start watching? What part of the country? What's your first memory? First memory would probably be WCW. I mean, you guys were the only uh, territory that ran Charleston, West Virginia, where I'm originally mm -hmm. from. So I would go to the Civic Center constantly. We'd camp out. What's the, what was the restaurant by uh, the Civic Center in Charleston? Was it Joey's? Was it Joey's oh, Restaurant? Sure. Oh man, that that was like uh, I've heard Ric Flair tell mad stories <laughs> about Joey's, um, but man, that that was a uh, that was really it. Seeing WCW on TV, um, as soon as I saw Hogan, as soon as I saw Savage, 
I was locked in. I was buying every wrestling figurine I could. I had the the yellow Razor Ramon shirt, you know. <laughs> but that that was really what 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 started my my love is just seeing it on TV, and and I've, I've been obsessed kind of ever since, honestly. And when we talked on the phone the very first time, you told me that you're now this. Now we're talking for those of you that perhaps just joined us. We're talking to Isaac Risson. He's a Grammy award-winning, nine times nominated, multi-platinum yeah. studio musician. You've had a tremendous amount of success, and you were just recently nominated again. Yep. Correct. Yep. Yes, sir. But his but Isaac's dream job. Forget about all the success that he's having now. His dream job is to be the next version of Jim Johnson. That's yeah. That's I, 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 I'm, I, that's one thing. And I think there's a better way to do it too. Um, there is a, a, a unique opportunity that professional wrestlers can have. If you look at Chris Jericho, I would love to know how much either TBS or TNT or whoever Turner is paying to use Judas every week all the way until the chorus even and then it's it's the it's the chorus of people when the song when they finally fade it down and you hear the crowd singing judas that what a what a great move what if every wrestler could have that opportunity what if we could create you a song and not only do you get to use it we allow the licensing to kind of flow through whatever medium that you're on whatever network you're on but you also get a percentage of publishing and you might even get a percentage of the master. Ooh. That would be a, a, a real big game changer in that industry, not only for, for professional wrestlers, but for any athlete, anybody that's, that's using a, 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 you know, a licensed music, all music needs to be licensed anyway. Why not own a little bit of it? Well, that, you know, I think WWE has done that, you know, for, for a long time. And I know Jimmy Hart, when Jimmy worked for me, um, and unfortunately, I wasn't, I just wasn't that knowledgeable of the, the revenue model for music. It was just, it was very hard to follow for me uh, because I never really looked into it closely enough to understand it. But Jimmy Hart was big on that. You know, he really believed in trying to create that music so you can know. And I, I know Hulk Hogan owns a lot of, you know, music that, that he originally did. And he gets paid on publishing. And I'm sure Chris Jericho, because I know his manager, Barry Bloom, I would be shocked if Chris Jericho is not receiving Bonzo size checks from the publishing of Judas, because it's getting used all over the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty wild. So Eric Bischoff, we are in the holiday season now, and there's one thing that I know about the holidays and it is that every single penny counts. Sometimes you want to splurge for that big gift for that special someone, or sometimes you just want to have a little extra cash in your pocket. And the way that you can do that is by cutting down on your subscriptions because you may not even realize this but you're probably wasting money on them 80 percent of people have subscriptions they forgot about maybe it's an amazon prime account that you don't actually use at all or a hulu account that never actually gets streamed well the good news is there's this absolutely fantastic app that i use that helps me keep track of all my expenses and because of it i no longer waste money on subscriptions that i don't even use and you told me recently that you use it it's called rocket money formerly known as Truebill. Eric, what has been the biggest upside of using Rocket Money for you? It's hard to pinpoint one upside because uh, there's several really big advantages for me. Um, number one, yes, one of the first things that I did 
was go through all of the subscriptions that I have. And Rocket makes it easy. All you, all you t it's right there in front of you. It tells you, you know, what your subscriptions are and when they're expiring and when they're renewing and all of that. And you can simply go down that list and eliminate the ones, as you just talked about, that you realize you, you just forgot. You, you know, I've done that too many times to count. And I think when I first went through um, Rocket Money and all the subscription, subscriptions I had that I didn't use, I was able to drop about $280 a month. Wow. Uh, getting billed for things I didn't even know I had or, or use, or maybe I used it a long time ago and I haven't used it since. Um, so it's, it's fascinating for me how much control it gives you over things that you might otherwise just look over. And let's be honest, it's not always easy to figure out you know, when the, a lot of these subscriptions are, are renewing and if you don't spend a lot of time keeping track of it, like I said, you'll be just like me and wasting a lot of money. The other thing I like about Rocket Money is it tells me every month where I spend my money. So if I'm on a tight budget, right, and I, and I am, by the way, I like to keep track of where all of my money goes. Um, and I can see, oh, this week I spent X amount of dollars at the grocery store. This week I spent X amount of money going out to eat and drink. And I have budgets for each one of those categories. And if I step outside the budget, Rocket Money lets me know that right away. So it helps me just keep track of things, especially during the holiday season. But there's a lot of benefits that comes with Rocket Money, the app. And I strongly encourage people, especially now with mortgage rates being what they are and interest rates are going up on your credit cards, just like they're going up on your mortgages, they're going up on your credit cards too. So it's really important to keep track of, of where your money's going. Yeah, and the beauty is the app shows you all your subscriptions in one place and it cancels for you whenever you don't still want to keep and to cancel a subscription all you gotta do is press cancel i know even you can figure that out eric bischoff nice and easy it gets you your money back takes care of all the rest and to get rid of useless subscriptions we want to help you out in partnership with rocket money now go to rocketmoney.com bischoff seriously i mean it is that easy to save hundreds of dollars per year just like eric bischoff has done that's rocketmoney.com slash bischoff cancel your unnecessary subscriptions right now at rocketmoney.com slash bischoff let me ask you this then in, in comparison to having a song that you own in your opinion what is the merit in licensing an outside song like how eric and company would license voodoo child for Hulk Hogan, is there merit to that? More merit to having a recognizable song versus a custom-made song, in your opinion, as a creator? Well, I mean, it kind of depends on how hard it is to get the license. That'd be the first thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, popular music is is just that. It's popular. It does nothing but elevate what you already have, and it draws in more eyes just based on like, oh, I know that song. They're using this song. How are they using it? You, you, you have this association with with a, a known piece of popular music when someone's using that publicly. Uh, it only elevates the product. What's interesting, though, is that you have people that use commercial music that it doesn't really have anything to do with what you're seeing. Uh, and it, <laughs> that that's when there, it could be a little dangerous. But yeah, use use whatever you know you can get your hands on to elevate your product. I think with Voodoo Child because it just fit. I mean, that was a you know if you were scoring a movie, and if the NWO was a movie and you had to score it, you would want that music. And I and yeah. I agree with you as a non music person or a non 
not a, not a musician. I don't really know much about the industry. I do know that music like wrestling, and here's one of the parallels that I think is obvious to me, at least is that both wrestling and music, in my opinion, at least are created to create emotion. And when you can take the right music that fits the story or fits the character, it only adds to the emotion of the action or anything else that you're seeing in the ring. And it, it is a function of really not just coming out with a popular song that everybody knows, but one that really, it's almost like it was written for you, even though it wasn't, it became a big hit. It was something else, but, but it just happens to fit your character and your story. And, and voodoo child did, and that was relatively affordable. I mean, I think the whole license cost me a hundred grand for worldwide rights. I could play up to two or three minutes of it. Couldn't do that today. And I negotiated that deal with Jimi Hendrix's sister, who was at that point in charge of the estate. You couldn't touch that deal now for that kind of money. So you'd probably be better off trying to write your own and owning it and making it popular. But let me ask you, Isaac, before we, we go too much further, I want to stay on licensing, publishing, and and all. Can you break down, like you and I come, you and I come up with a song. I come up with an idea for a song. I say, hey, Isaac, what if we, I write down a couple of lyrics. You take those lyrics, you add some lyrics to it. Let me put some music to it. Break down the revenue model between the publisher the the performer right. in your case how does it all who gets what so you you wrote the lyrics okay uh so lyrics and melody are basically publishing right so you, you got to think of it as 200 percent of the pie um so you wrote the song your lyrics and melody there's your publishing right i did the orchestration to it so i composed it right um maybe i produced it and i released it Okay, so then there's the master recording. Like I basically developed, I took your song, uh, songwriting skills, and I developed a song out of it. So it's two hundred percent publishing. You know, you're only going to be looking at a couple of different revenue models that you can kind of get out of out of just having your own publishing, right? Um, you, you're worried about, uh, when it gets used, uh, for a mechanical license or a synchronization license. So we're going to sync this song with video, right? Um, but for publishing, you're really only looking at public performance, um, with the master, that's when we start getting into things of uh, streams and, and downloads and, and what have you, um, it, it can get really, really, really confusing really quick, but you just got to think of it as 200%. The songwriting side of it and then the actual file that you released on the other side. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, depending on how you structure your deal with the songwriter and the producer, you also have to factor in someone's got to manage all of that stuff. Is it going to be you personally? Probably not. Not everybody. I'm not skilled enough to handle all those types of conversations. That's why we have people like lawyers in our life. Um, but it, you can you can really go crazy with it. Um, anytime the song gets played in a restaurant um, or uh, anywhere in public, right? You're, you're listening to that song in a supermarket. There is a royalty being paid for a public performance to the songwriter. When you download uh, the song and it, it stays on your phone, um, or you, you purchased it back when you would purchase songs through iTunes and you would have your iTunes library. Now it's all kind of like streaming based. Mm -hmm. um, that's your mechanical royalty. 
that's the, you know, a lot of people complain they don't own their masters anymore. Right? You see a lot of people leaving labels because they can't get their masters. They can't own the music. It's probably because they didn't pay for it, <laughs> for it to be developed. Um, the label is probably going to keep the majority of that master recording. You'll be lucky as a mainstream artist these days to get any majority ownership of your master. That And the label can really do whatever they want with it. Um, sometimes they control where it gets licensed, who gets to use it, if it gets to be used in a sync, how much is it going to be used for in a sync. Just like we're talking about working with someone who's controlling the estate of Jimi Hendrix, a label would probably control uh, the estate of a particular piece of music. Um, you can go uh, real crazy with it. You can license the songs out, uh, you know, two different types of license. You have your non-exclusive and your exclusive. It's easy to think about a song as a house, right? I want to sell this house or I want to rent it to somebody. Uh, a non-exclusive license, you can rent your home to somebody. Mm -hmm. um, you can do that in a number of different ways. You can split it up into different tiers of a non-exclusive license. Why would you do that? You can have unlimited amounts of people using your idea. Um, a non-exclusive license is something... Um, uh, you weren't you you wouldn't be the only person that would use Voodoo Child in a given calendar year, right? So that was right. probably a non-exclusive termed license. There are also different um, ways as a, as a song or, or just like a beat maker, right? You see a lot of people making beats these days. You do a non-exclusive license, a ton of different people can use that same beat and track different vocals on it. What gets tricky and something that I am personally <laughs> familiar with is you have to have tiers of that. Um, so if, if Eric, if I have an instrumental song that you want to put lyrics to, you can buy it a couple of different ways. <clears throat> you can get just the MP3, or for a higher tier, you can get the Wave, right? Um, you could get a board mix, or you could pay a little bit more. You can get every single file that's in that session. Then we have to talk about distribution. You know, how many purchases before we renegotiate? Um, I can set a limit on how many free downloads or nonprofit performances or paid performances or music videos or audio streams or video streams, broadcasting rights, radio rights. You can really kind of manipulate these non-exclusive licenses uh, to safeguard your intellectual property. An exclusive license is a massive risk that you have to weigh out, you know, like who's the artist, what label are they on? Are they going to use it uh, for an album cycle? Is anybody else joining that track to write lyrics? They're your master, you know, portion of your 200%. That starts going down. Your publishing starts going down, depending on how many people get involved. Um, but it could also be a really big reward. You could have a song that you made in, in 45 minutes, and then the next thing you know, you have a gold record on your wall. <laughs> and you, you really, well, maybe yeah. you could, maybe yeah, well, you could do that. I try. <laughs> and, and that's what happened with Mikey Ruckus with AW with Adam Cole's theme song, where it ended up shooting right to number one. And I want to piggyback off what you're talking about with just, uh, you know, accessibility and exclusivity. You know, now we have streaming where back in the day when I was growing up and same area you're talking about, if we wanted wrestling music and we were in a very niche group of people that wanted access to wrestling music, we had to wait for these things to officially be released on a CD. Maybe there's 10 songs being released and that's it. Now with Spotify and Apple music and all that stuff, we have an opportunity to get that song directly to the consumer where it now takes on another life. It's not just a theme song for people 
to walk out to, but it's also something that can be consumed. Look at Fandango nine years ago, his song shot to number one, and look what it did for his career too. How has that, in your opinion, changed the way that wrestling music is integrated into fandom in that regard? Oh man, it gives you another opportunity to celebrate the the, the wrestler, right? It gives you um, a, a, a so hopefully it gives you a better understanding of the the performer themselves. I mean, uh, one of my favorite entrance musics right now, uh, well at least for the, a long time, AJ Styles's theme music. Man, like when he first came out at the Rumble, I was so hyped to not only see AJ Styles, but to know that he had this like banger of a song. I was like, oh, let's go. This is fantastic. You know, uh, so, like Alex Wright. <laughs> that was like such a fun jam, man. Um, Sable's entrance music with the cat ground and the crack of the whip, like, such cool stuff and it gets you into that movement now where you can download this stuff you get to enjoy it wherever you are i could be out walking my dog and uh, let's listen to brock lesnar's interest music real quick you know what i mean it's 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 a it's a wild time do you i mean jim johnson we all know we we talk he's just celebrated and jim johnson did produce a lot of music for wwe for a very long time a lot of it is iconic a lot of it, you could hear the first couple bars of it and know exactly what it is. You don't even have to listen to the whole song because we've heard it all so many times. But Jim, no longer with WWE, how do you feel about the quality of, and I know you don't, we're not here to be critical, but have you noticed a difference in the quality of the music since Jim left it, for better or worse, or is it about the same? Uh, it's, in my opinion, right? It's not that good these days. There, there were, there were some. Uh, everything just kind of sounds the same. It's over compressed. It's super loud. Um, one of the things that I've noticed is, and this might just be me, uh, certain wrestlers, depending on their rank on the card, have better mixed music, and sometimes that music is mixed even louder. Like Roman Reigns's entrance music. If I'm listening in headphones to a SmackDown. That thing sounds way too hot, over compressed. It sounds generic. It, it sounds like generic samples being used. No offense to whoever made it. All due respect. It, it serves its purpose. Um, but it's, it just doesn't feel as original. And maybe that's a reflection on the creative itself. How, you know, thorough are we telling a story here? Right. You know, like, how much time are we de de devoting to a particular talent to say, uh, let's scroll through a library and we'll use this one. That's kind of what it feels like today. It doesn't necessarily feel like it's, it's too pointed, but then you have people like, uh, uh, uh Max Caster, their tag team's name. The I feel the acclaimed. I feel so bad for blanking <laughs> on that, but the acclaimed great. Don't change anything. Keep that song for the rest of time. Um, it, it's just, just hearing that little, like, uh, but kind of alarm kind of sound when they first come out, it, it's like, ah, here we go. We're going to get, you know, hopefully a rap. Um, they're going to be extremely hyped. I get excited hearing that song. Um, the same way as I, I get excited hearing Drew McIntyre's, uh, theme music with the, you know, the rumbling drums and the bagpipe and, and just, oh, it's huge. It's so uh, invigorating. Um, but uh, I don't, I don't know. I, I, 
I don't know how I feel about music these days. There are winning moments and there are winning songs, um, but it just, it kind of sounds the same. I, I loved what CFOs did. Um, Bailey, or not Bailey, but Sasha Banks's entrance music was fantastic. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't, I don't, who even does the music at WWE anymore? I, 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 I believe have, they're called Def Rebel, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, that's right. That's, uh, that's, um, I know who you're talking about now. That's, that's his, uh, uh, gimmick name, but, um, yeah, I know who you're talking Looking for a great Mother's Day or Father's Day gift idea? I was, and I found it at Paint Your Life. With Paint Your Life, you'll get a hand painted portrait created to fit almost any budget. And it's a great gift idea for your mother, your father, or both. You say Paint Your Life transforms your photos into a one-of-a-kind, beautiful, hand-painted portrait created by professional artists. You upload anything you can imagine. You can even combine photos. You'll pick the artist, the medium. You can even customize the frame. And you can receive your painting in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at PaintYourLife.com. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded, guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, just text the word WEEKS to 87204. That's WEEKS to 87204. Text WEEKS to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. That's cool. Yeah. But. I, I, so if we can get a little granular here to borrow a word from our cohort, Jeff Jarrett. Uh, no, so no, no, no. The granular term came from me. Oh. Jeff adopted it, stole it, basically. <laughs> he basically stole my IP. And that happens a lot here. You know, we break things here. We use certain phrases and terminology. And the next thing I know, everybody else is using it. And, hey, that's cool. You know, so you did not license, nice, but whatever. you did not license Grant. <laughs> make that very clear here. Sorry. <laughs> uh, no, but so I, I, I was a musician. I played in bands for years and I've always been fascinated about the chemical makeup of a theme song. And I had this conversation with Gangrel one time, who I think has one of the best themes of his era. Yeah, and man. he said that Stone Cold Steve Austin told him that the key to having a great theme song is you need to be able to walk to it. And you think about all these different characters and even Eric with that nice backbeat of the drums. Eric's just strutting his ass down to the ring. I think that makes so much sense. So as far as you see it as a producer of music, what constitutes a great theme song? It's got to be, it has to resemble the athlete at, the, at, at every level. Um, the, and that's the, the, the walking aspect of it. That's a Jim Johnstonism. That's, that's something that he maintained. What is it that they're naturally walking to, um, their gear is, is a huge thing. Um, their, their persona, the way that I would orchestrate it is, is just the same way, right? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, if I can get an opportunity to be around a wrestler, to understand their creative, to understand their long-term goals, to see them walk, to see them wrestle, to hear them talk, all that stuff, that has to be at the core to get that point across, to make it seem effortless, to make it seem like it's them that we're, we're watching. It's, that, it, it's just an, uh, an extension of their personality altogether. Um, so... You'd, you'd have to start there. Um, and it, it would, it would, it has to be different for everybody because everybody's different. Um, starting with that beat. I mean, I, I remember watching a, a story that Jim Johnson told about creating DX's music. 
Um, he was sitting there with Chris Warren, and all he had was goom, goom. And he thought about like, well, what does it mean to be a degenerate, right? You think you can tell us what to wear. You think you can tell. And he was like, I just got Chris to say that. <laughs> and we just, it's a funk riff, but it's, it's ha it has this, you know, the same kind of messaging that DX had. And that made it work. Um, you, have to, you have to start with what brought the athlete or the wrestler to the dance, how they look, how they perform, how they work, all that stuff. What's... I've always been fascinated with the creative process, you know, for wrestling, for me personally speaking for myself, most of the ideas that I came up with, that would fall into the not, not such a bad idea category happened when I was on a treadmill or if I was outside running, if I was doing something where my endorphin levels were elevated, it had, if I sit around, if I'm at a desk, you know, I'm not really that creative, but if I'm up and I'm moving, and especially if I'm doing something physical, it just seems that's when certain creative light bulbs start going off or at least sparkling in my head for music. What comes first, the, the, the music or the lyrics, what do, generally, and I know there's, probably always different but for you where does the creative process start drums always has to start with drums um and 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 as a bass player and a drummer and a guitar player and a keyboard player i really want to start out an idea just like i would want to build it for a live show okay so the main foundation of any orchestration at least in modern popular music bass and drums it's your rhythm section Right. That is creating the bed for everybody else to lay on and do whatever they want to do on. Right. I just have to make that foundation with a drummer. So if I've got a right, you have that type of beat, it's kind of bouncy. So you'd want to have something that kind of falls in. Right. So you then that bed lets everything else cascade over top of it. Um, that's how I typically write is starting out with the rhythm section. That's what I know. That's what I'm paid to do. That's what I get hired to do is to focus on that just solid foundation of, of a song in modern music. Like you said, it, it's, it's different every single day. And those moments of genius of, of being able to kind of tap into that realm of your creativity is rare for a lot of people. And it's really hard to figure out what can I do to get me in that creative mood. And uh, idle hands are the devil's playground, brother. Uh, you got to always be hitting every single patch that it that comes with whatever virtual instrument you're using. You need to know the up and downs of, of the neck of your instrument. You need to know that there are differences between each instrument. They all sound different. They all have different response times. Um, it, but just getting that solid groove foundation is really how I personally start to work on any piece of music that I, that I generate, it, it has to start with the rhythm section. And then typically would you, if you, once you've got your music, you, you've got your rhythm section, you've got your music kind of figured out. Do you write lyrics? Do you look for other people to tag in and write lyrics with you for you? When, when do lyrics and music integrate? Usually when you have the, uh, a song is really popular music again is structured in a way that you have kind of like a, a predetermined uh, route. You you've talked about it, your, your beginning, middle and end, right? Mm -hmm. 
you've referenced that a lot on your shows. You have to be able to kind of systematically write a collective idea in different phases. Um, so lyrics would, I do write, uh, I, I am a songwriter. Um, I prefer to bring in as many people as possible uh, to help, you know, fully flush or flesh out an idea. Um, I, you, you just, it, it all depends, right? If you've got the hook, right? The main course, that is your, that's the point I'm trying to make the verse, whether it's the first verse or the second verse, that's explaining why that chorus exists, right? Uh, country music, storytelling genre, the chorus is going to be your ideal. Like this is the hook. This is what everybody's going to sing along to, or hopefully sing along to the verse is a way to explain that the second verse is a way to explain that the bridge is a way to tie the two verses together to kind of create a full circle idea so by the end of the song you've traveled from i know about myself i know about this experience or i've i've lived this thing and here we are now same thing with a good wrestling match you've got a beginning a middle and an end you're going to go to the outside in the first two minutes Okay, <laughs> I can't wait to hear about that towards the end of the match of why it was so necessary to go outside of the ring when you're in a ring, you could probably take care of business in the ring. Did you really need to do What was the point? Same thing in a song. What's the point in starting with your hook when you haven't even told us how, you're, how you got to that point in, in your life, in, in, in the song? Um, yeah, it, lyrics would probably come in after we've figured out what the song want, wants to be, what what you know, the instrumentation that can also dictate the lyrics and, and where they want to go. I'll tell you this quick story: uh, "Money Long," "Hours and Hours," the song that we just got nominated uh, for best R and B song, um, R and B performance, and then Money got I think it was a, a, a Grammy for new uh, new artist. But that song started with uh, Dylan Graham, uh, one of the producers on the song. Uh, was, I think it was just a piano idea at first. And then he sent that to me. I tracked bass on it. He sent that to some other people. We had horns and, and guitar and whatever, all that stuff. And then that song got put on uh, the, the internet. At some point, Money heard that, wrote a lyric to it, pressed it, and released it. Wow. And there you go. And that, that song, uh, to this point, uh, yesterday we found out that it was the most streamed R&B song on Spotify in 2022. And she wrote it right in, or, or washing dishes. And it, That's it's just, so awesome. That's yeah, so it, awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. And, 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 you know, growing up a, a, a poor kid in Charleston, West Virginia, to know that now I don't have to be in a studio in Los Angeles. I don't have to be in a studio in New York. I don't have to be at a studio in Nashville. I live in Clinton, Tennessee. I've got great outboard gear, great instruments, and about 22 years of hearing how it's done every other way. I have to use that information by myself. I don't have an engineer. I don't have a producer with me. The one producer I've worked with since 2014, we've talked on the phone maybe seven times, maybe eight. And between the two of us, we've got over a billion streams. We, we, it's just that type of, it's just that type of, I know because I've been in these situations so many times, I don't have to look over at an engineer and say, hey, can we change that? I got to change it. I can't look over at the producer or the songwriter and say, hey, do you want me to do something different on verse two? I just have to be able to do that. 
Um, yeah, it, it's uh, it's wild. <laughs> With that songwriting too, you talk about lyrics and. The- even you can emote this too with how rhythm changes and how dynamics change, but all in all, it's how people feel in response to the song. How does that song make someone feel? And that's very akin to professional wrestling where the best performers always elicit emotion from a crowd. Do you see any, again, that's, that's my take on it. Do you see any tie-in from all your years as a wrestling fan and writing music? Yeah, I, th- so in, and especially with with live performance, like before I, I started doing you know a lot of studio stuff, I was also a, a touring musician, um, and you know you're going into a new club, a new arena. There's new faces. You have to be able to tell a story not only with your instrument, but with your facial expressions, with where you're standing on the stage. Um, you got to be involved, right? And being able to kind of emote that same energy that you're doing in performance, it's kind of the harder of the two. In a studio, I can be deadpanned and just stoic live and, and still get that same energy out of the recording. It's just I'm focused on that level of, of, of energy coming through my playing. Live, I've got to do that tenfold. Not only do I have to have that same type of studio quality playing in a live setting, but now I've got to run the stage. I've got to get to this marker. I've got to get back up on my riser to change, you know, pedals around or, or whatever. Um, but having that type of, of interaction with the fan, you see it in wrestlers with their facial expressions, how they're able to sell uh, or, or, or get the crowd excited or get behind them or be against them or hate them. Um, Roman Reigns, brother, doing the greatest work he's ever done, being able to elicit that uh, that physical and, and emotional response out of people just by standing there and pointing his you know his finger up, yeah. it's remarkable. Um, and you can you can do that in music. You just you have to be aware. You know you have to be able to look at the audience. Who are they looking at as a bass player? They're not looking at me. So what can I do to push that type of energy? Uh, and that presence on stage to the person that everybody came to see. Um, it's be the same way as somebody standing ringside being a manager, just keeping that focus on what we want you to see right now. I wonder, I, I wanted to try this back when I was running WCW, but I never had the guts to actually do it. I, 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 I always wondered what it would be like to have music under a match mm. you know it, it would almost it would have to be really really subtle but oftentimes i just wonder if music could be created that would be really hard because you'd have to create a lot of music but if you could create a bed of music underneath a match if you know going in let's say it's a wrestlemania not that the, mm-hmm. nobody will ever do this because it's too off the wall i would have done it if i could have but i didn't but if you, if you knew going in, it's going to be, for example, Roman Reigns and Rock, and you knew what the story was going to be, and you had a pretty good idea what the match is going to be. Wouldn't it be kind of cool someday for somebody to try to score a match for a, for a WrestleMania and have that music playing underneath and even mix it live in a way so that when your announcers decide to lay out a little bit, perhaps that music comes up just a hair, just to help create that emotion particularly in moments in that match where you're trying to engage the audience to feel something 
that's not obvious. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, guys yeah. are beating the hell out of each other. Nobody's grabbing a chair. Nobody's flying off the top rope. There's nothing dynamic going on. And you need to get let the audience kind of catch their breath for a minute and settle down before you take them on the next, you know, roller coaster ride. But it would be really interesting to me if somebody tried to create music underneath matches. It would just just to just to experiment with it. It'd be fun. I bet that would be pretty interesting. I think the music that's created in the arena with just the and you've been, you know, you you've mentioned before that you would go up to the nosebleeds and just mm-hmm. watch at, during Nitro. Um, and, and shout out, you, if you guys aren't on ad-free shows yet, like I got to give a quick plug, join ad-free shows, listen to all this bonus content because it'll blow your mind. Some of the stories that you get to hear from a, a lot of the people that, that work on this, but the energy that's in the room automatically is probably more um, of a, it's, there's just so much energy. You, you, you hear Gorilla Monsoon say it all the time. It, it's so thick. You can cut it with a knife. It's true. And you're talking about Roman and 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 The Rock. Whoa, I'm like goosebumps just thinking about that. And to think about putting music underneath that, whoa, poof! Just the energy in the room alone, just yeah. seeing them standing there is is it, that'll that'll shake the foundation of whatever arena that they're in. Just just so automatically. So just so you know, we're going to send a copy of this episode over to my buddy Bruce Pritchard who is uh, up on the food chain there at WWE. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe something will oh. come out of this. You never you know. know. What's, you know what's crazy? I've been, I've been rolling. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen with ad free shows for a, a little bit and one of the first calls I ever got was from brother bruce and what was funny was i was just about to walk into the arrowhead pond uh aka the honda center that was my first pay-per-view that was wrestlemania 12 i'm talking to bruce pritchard walking in <laughs> to the wow. arena that was absolutely mind-numbing um love brother bruce that's awesome yeah and I mean, there are examples in the past where we've somewhat seen that. New Jack used to wrestle with hip hop music underneath his matches, and it wasn't. Oh, scored. I didn't know that. Yeah, it wasn't scored per se in the way that you're insinuating, like a movie where you have the highs and lows. It was just New Jack would come out to his theme, the theme would keep playing underneath, and it fit his character because that's what he was going for that gangsta kind of vibe, and it, it fit perfectly. It was great. Um, and it, even to a, a lesser degree, Isaac the cinematic matches we've seen in the last yep. few years, starting with the final deletion, of course, with the Hardys. Yep. And then we saw the Boneyard match that WWE did where having Metallica playing underneath WWE licensed out Metallica to have in that to be Undertaker's send-off, which I thought was so great. It totally changes the dynamic of the experience as a consumer of it. Yep. Yeah, those those cinematic matches, man, I, I, I was a big fan of all that. Um to have that type of, you know, uh, you almost need it in a cinematic match, right? You you need that ability because you don't have the natural aura of the arena. You don't have live fan interaction. 
that's that, I think that's what really makes a match sometimes is how good the wrestlers are at listening to the audience. Um, you know, predetermined matches, what have you, that's fine. But in the ring, that's where the story gets told. Um, and to to take that away and, and put it in a cinematic format, yeah, you have to have music at that point. And it was really well done. It, it was a really, really cool treat to see. It really was. And it's, you know, one of the things I think that came out of COVID, unfortunately, that, you know, was kind of a interesting, I don't want to call it a bright spot, but it was an interesting spot because they were forced into it. You know, you have to do something to make that match feel big. We're talking about obviously the undertaker specifically here, but had to do something to make that feel big. And I, I loved the cinematic matches. Unfortunately, I think because now it's a lot easier just to do your stuff in an arena and that's traditionally what everybody does, but I, I would love to see, a cinematic match happen once or twice a year, perhaps yeah. at WrestleMania or at another big event, because I do think it's, it's taking the genre and it's storytelling and emotion creating elements to an entirely different level. It is easier to do it in a venue. And when you've got great talent that knows how to manipulate the audience and get the audience to react the way you want them to, and then feed back and forth. I mean, that's the dance, right? That's the magic of it all. Yeah. But I do think that elevating storytelling visually, in this case, in terms of audio, with these cinematic matches, are st it's still kind of the next giant step into the future, in my opinion. Big time. We're talking with Isaac Riston, Grammy Award winning and nominated multi-platinum session musician, producer, songwriter. You've worn so many hats. So I'd like you to put on another hat here as this storied wrestling or wrestling fan and music producer what's the greatest wrestling theme of all time and why why is it give me a breakdown here uh in your me, opinion, me personally the greatest entrance music of all time and why i mean i'm a sucker for razor ramon's entrance music only because it had all of the sounds of of what uh, that type of persona would 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 want and would warrant, um, it was smooth. It 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 you could anybody could walk to it. You know what I mean? Not just not just Scott Hall, and all the different percussive hits in the background. It was very Latin, but it was also very eighties pop and nineties pop. Um, and it, and it just, it, it felt like, and even when he was in the ring and he would put his shoulders out and then you have the three second uh, or, or nine second uh, showers of, of the pyro. Unbelievable. Probably like that, to me, that's my favorite because it just, it fit Razor so well, in my opinion. I love that so much. And <laughs> those are things you don't even think about as, as you're watching it. Yeah. And they're all that, put there for a reason. They they are and the, the screeching tires. Um, you, we're, we're getting out of a chase or we're starting a chase, and and this is the bad guy, right? It's it's you've got almost like this um a clanging kind of like iron sound that's on top of the snare drum a little bit. Um, you have the uh, congas and timbales in the background, uh, and then the the, the chorus. All these different kind of percussive beats give Scott the freedom to make those facial gestures, to kind of stand and contemplate until he finally gets to the ring. Unreal. So much fun. That's awesome. 
That's yeah. that's awesome. And, and I can see why, you know, someone like you would fantasize about writing for wrestling because it's such a over the top and powerful visual Yeah, that to be able to write music, to enhance something that's already kind of powerful and big and over the top would, would be kind of trippy. Let me, let me ask you another question. Cause we'll be wrapping this up here in another six or seven minutes, but you know, you, in professional wrestling, one of the things that's really evolved over the t- last 10 years or maybe more is independent wrestling. You know, it was for a long time, just WWE and WCW and the WCW went away. AEW's come along, but before AEW, you know, became a thing, it was WWE. And I think as a result of the lack of just diversity in wrestling, independent wrestling started popping up and it got real popular. The music version of independent wrestling. Well, I don't know if this is quite as accurate because there's a lot of money behind it, but what has the effect of shows like America's got talent where you're taking these unknown, never really seen before outside of their local neighborhood gig, taking these unknown talents, giving them a national platform. Has that really had any effect on the business? In other words, do people look at that as a real proving ground or a farm, a farm club, if you will? Uh, well, I mean, I kind of have a little bit of, of, of a close knowledge for this. I was the, uh, music director and bass player for American Idols International Tours. So I was able to kind of have discourse with a lot of contestants that were on Idol specifically. Um, I've also played for people that were on The Voice, um, to kind of understand the market side effects of a TV show like The Voice or American Idol or America's Got Talent, man, take a look at a traditional album cycle. Right. Let's say we have somebody that is a proven songwriter, right? Or they're they're a proven artist. There's only so much you can do in an album cycle to get their story across, to get people invested to the why of an artist. Shows like The Voice, American Idol, America's Got Talent. You get segments on these people that you cannot, you, as a label or 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 any type of artist manager or PR or whatever, you cannot get that level of storytelling anywhere else. So it's huge for uh, the the people that are on the show. It's also for labels and stuff. It's kind of like, oh man, I wish I could get this person's story across like they do on these TV shows. You also get to witness this amazing feat of uh, of just natural ability. Uh, I, I love uh, I love Idol because I'm a huge Lionel Richie fan. Um, uh, Luke Bryan's cool. Uh, I, I can't remember the young lady that's on there right now, but um, goodness, uh, Katy Perry, also incredible. You have these kids and adults that come in. They've never done anything like that at all. And you get to watch them go from I, I'm wearing what's in my closet to I'm wearing what someone probably spent a good two hours putting together for me, along with an incredible band on those shows, uh, you get to witness the birth of a, we'll call it a star. Are they flashes in the pan? Yeah. A lot of the people that get off those TV shows, they kind of float off into obscurity a little bit. There are some people that have been able to kind of take those uh, opportunities and expound upon them. But after that story's done, after that show's done, sometimes the artist is as well. Um, but from a, a money-making standpoint, you get an entire season of a program to get yourself over. 
And a lot of it, people would do anything to kind of get that type of exposure to be on that type of show. Um, does it add to the music business? Yes, because there's room here for everybody. Um, no matter what genre that you're in, now that we have the internet, you can get in front of anybody that you want to. Um, with a TV show like American Idol, The Voice, America's Got Talent, you can again get that in front of anybody. And you are also able to tell such a magnificent story behind it um, just to create, you know, wholesome content, honestly. <laughs> it's a lot more wholesome than somebody, something like Hell's Kitchen. You know what I mean? It's um, really interesting how, the, the you know, like I watched The Voice because we've got a, a family friend who's uh, she's basically in charge of the background singers. Um, and she tours with, uh, oh my God, I'm drawing a blank. I can't Blake believe Shelton, it. I think, right? Blake Shelton. Yeah. But that big tall drink of water country singer, she tours with him and she's a very, very good friend. Um, but I always wondered when, when, it, when a talent makes it to the voice or American idol, whatever, do they give up any rights? Are they, I mean, are they, get, do they get tied up just in case in two years or three years they get big? It can sometimes be seven years no that they're kidding. tied up. Yeah, yeah. And I don't, I don't want to get too inside baseball on that because it, my association with all of that stuff is it, that that's from a few years ago. Oh. But yeah, three to seven years, um, and it's it's a little bit of everything. You know, it's it's your publishing, it's your it's your master recording. If you go to release anything, they're probably going to put songs in front of you to sing. Um, they're going to tell you where to be. It's it would be like going to to WWE essentially, right? Pretty much everything that you have going on is pushed to the side. You're now under their umbrella, and so that can be for them for three years or more. Yeah, and that's listen. Some people uh, look. You 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 talk about at least in my step, right? A poor kid from West Virginia. If somebody from The Voice or American Idol said, "Hey, you're good enough to be on the show, sign this piece of paper," I'm going to do it. That's a that's a tremendous opportunity, um, and that's you would probably get just the same on any other label. You know, you'd get right. that same type of of structure. Cool. Well, John, I know you've you've got to go. I'll let I'll let you uh, have the last question before yeah. we wrap it up. Well, I just want to say this, and and I'm curious how you react to this, Isaac. Uh, Eric, you mentioned indies and everything. I had a conversation recently with someone very high up in the WWE recruiting process from indie talent about coming into NXT, and he said one thing they look for in a lot of independent wrestling talent. Uh, is whether or not they're using copyrighted music or if they have their own theme custom made for themselves because it's so accessible now where there are so many creators of this stuff. Uh, as someone who makes music and produces this at a wide scale, uh, why would it be worth an investment for someone to carve out that identity for themselves as they try to make it? You own more of your IP. You know, uh, and I think it doesn't need to. Uh, there was a, a lawsuit recently over uh, tattoos by a, 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 an artist, and those tattoos were seen in a WWE video game. Randy Orton. Exactly, and and how? Look, it, it's your body, it's your gimmick. You know, it's your persona, it's your livelihood. Um, if you're using copyrighted music, or or if you're using somebody who says copyright free, that's a joke. Don't even try to go down that rabbit hole. Don't try to use uh, copyright-free music. It's stay away from it. But if you can own more of your intellectual property and that you can have ownership and get paid for in the future, why would you not do that? The same thing with your gear. 
I see people designing gear all the time. Do you not think about a provisional patent for that type of, of structured garment? You can do that. Um, the same thing with your music, your name, the way you wear your hair, your tattoos. You can own all of that. Outstanding stuff, Isaac. This is really fantastic conversation. Uh, where can people find you if they wish to get in contact with you or see more of your work? Yeah. yeah where do we tell Bruce Pritchard? How, how does Bruce Pritchard at WWE get all do you know? <laughs> oh, man, I'll, I'll let you know. Uh, Instagram, Isaac Riston, Twitter, Isaac Riston or IsaacRiston.com. Outstanding. Well, thank you so much for being part of this episode of Strictly Business and forming that connection there with Eric. I thought this was just outstanding. And uh, we'll, we'll definitely have to get you back down the line because there's more on this bone to pick at. But we appreciate you, Isaac, and we appreciate all of you guys tuning in to this edition of Strictly Business. Spread the word. We're public now, baby. We're in front of that paywall. All you got to do is check us out every single Thursday. And uh, on behalf of Eric, we are genuinely so appreciative of all of you. And we'll see you next week right here on Strictly Business. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.